bleed out. Side note, Merrick Q is hanging out with Union folks. Okay. With the, um, International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. I like the IUAPTC, and Merrick Q's better than the previous mayor. I will give him that. It, he, he at least actually goes out to the fucking job sites yeah. and he talks to people. Well, and, and he frequents, he frequents uh, women and BIPOC-owned businesses. Yeah, and that's, I just love the fact that you feel like Mayor Q is in fact a man of the people, even if he's part of the machine, he's still a person, not an elite, you yeah. know? Like, he, and he does a lot of, not I say like, I know it's a lot of photo ops, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you gotta do. Yeah. But at least he makes himself available. Like, yeah. And that one time he gave out his cell yes. phone. Yes. Yes. Like, oh my yes. god, why did you do that? <laughs> right. But I mean, hey, power yeah. move. Yeah. You know. <laughs> get some. I like as much as I ideally would love to have where they're putting in the new soccer complex in uh, Berkeley. Um, they were supposed to do some low-income housing, uh, and that didn't get approved. Um, like knowing the politics behind it, where like Merrick Hugh was on board to do it, mm-hmm. and they said you could either have free public transit or you can have this low income housing. And he was like, free public transit's gonna affect, affect more, more people. More people. Yeah. And, like that's shitty but, that he had to choose, but he definitely went with the greater good on that one. Yeah, and he wasn't the one that put himself into that position where he had to choose. So. Yeah, like they're like, you can have one socialist thing. Right. <laughs> So, uh, best part of doing a podcast is talking about local politics with people that actually know what the hell's going on. And Amy and Amanda, look, I just gave Mayor Q his props, so, you know, no hard feelings there, all right? Um, So, yeah, welcome to part two of the mutual aid episode. I don't have a title for this one yet. It may just be Can't Spell Community Without You Part Two. That rhymes. Like, I'm down with it. So I am uh, still here with Taylor with Kansas City Mutual Aid. Taylor, how are you feeling after our, you know, 20-minute break? I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, I'm really enjoying just kind of discussing all of the the things Kansas City actually has going on for it, which makes me really appreciate that I get to call this place my home. Yeah, and that's, that's one thing. There is a very fair criticism by the leftist activist circles in the United States toward the Kansas City scene. There are a lot of issues with sexism, sexual harassment, uh, shit like that. But we do have a very vibrant community support. Like, even if we don't all do really well about working together, uh, there are a lot of resources available to everybody in Kansas City. And that's pretty fucking cool. So let's let's jump right back into it. So we were talking about community, we've been talking about dual power, we've been talking about mutual aid and how that all ties together. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about mutual aid. So mutual aid is building the community and it takes many forms. Little free libraries, community pantries, community gardens, and maker spaces are just a few examples. Mutual aid, whether you realize it or not, is also you hooking up your friends with $5 or $10 to go grab a sandwich or a pack of smokes. You don't do it because it'll score you respect points or you want to have power over your friends. You do it because your community is hungry. And a few weeks ago, they sent you some cash to help cover an unexpected car breakdown. No one's keeping a tally. As some old friends of mine used to tell me when we practiced mutual aid without knowing that was what it was, it all comes out in the wash. 
I love that saying. Like, yeah. I have people all the time like, oh, you know, I'll do this for you. Like, it all comes out in the wash, bro. I don't, I don't want to get into it. So, you already uh, brought up the the car. Uh, listen to part one and hear the heartwarming, amazing, very commie tale, well, very anarchist tale of giving away cars. Um, so, let's talk about some of the other um, the other examples of mutual aid we saw, particularly during the early stages of the pandemic, when everybody was losing jobs and there were no social safety nets because our established institutions were too busy dragging their feet. So we built dual power by doing the things we did. So, like, what what do you remember from that time? Yeah, so some of the first stuff that um, Case Mutual Aid was doing um, were getting groceries and food delivered to people um, who were high risk um, or in very vulnerable populations. So the elder, elderly, those with small children, the immunocompromised, pregnant women. Um, and it was also things like picking up laundry off of people's porches and, and doing laundry for them either at your house or if you were someone who was not as at, as as at much of a risk, um, you know, taking it to a laundromat. Um, but then it's also things that have kind of emerged out of that were a program we run called Feeding Folks, where every week we make meals that go out to the community and they get delivered and they're hot meals. And if you go to our Instagram, you can see some recent examples of that. Um, and you can learn more about how to either donate or sign up um, and so we did that um, and then we started the, uh, the container gardens um, and so they're individualized little container gardens um, that folks could uh, request and it was something that could be done outside put together outside with donations from the community you know safe distance all of that um, and then when the BLM protest started there was a lot of running water mm-hmm to protesters, um, sending out information about where the, the different bail funds in Kansas City, what they were, how to donate, um, running other resources to people, getting rides for folks to and from, helping connect people if they got displaced, um, because KCPD was not very kind Yeah. Um, during that. Lots of, lots of uh, tear gas and- Fuck Rick Smith. Yeah, um, and more and more we just, you know, kind of were a bunch of folks who just kind of came together and were like, how how do we address all of these needs and what programs can we create and what resources can we find um, and how do we support this community? So about mid-summer last year, um, it kind of stagnated because everybody, I think, was just burnt out between mm-hmm. Um, the protests yeah. and be closing in on like six months of COVID um, and the restrictions and we decided in the fall to kind of revamp everything and we said okay let's find all these resources we're going to put them in a master doc these are all of the resources by category we're going to make calendars so people can have a visual representation of when these pantries and these hot meal services are open um, and we're going to make this easy for people to access um, and easy for people to donate and 
opened up different channels uh, for people to send money or request money. And we really organized it back of house so that way it was transparent. Um, people could do person to person if they wanted to or contribute to the, the projects over a whole. It's really expanded since then. Um, and on a personal level, I knew through some organizing in the 501c3 community um, of organizations in town like um, Sleepyhead Beds and Micah Ministries um, and Nourish KC, I had learned about through my time um, organizing in nonprofits. And I thought I had a, a fairly good idea of what this town had to offer. And then it just blew my mind how many more services yeah. there were. Um, and then we also connected with people in Free Hot Soup and KC Tenants. Um, Both great, awesome organizations. Oh, I have nothing but good things to say. Free Hot Soup, I did some work with a few years ago. I still kind of broadcast some of their stuff, pick up here and there. And KC Tenants, like, fire group, all right? They are the, the number one standard around here for tenants' rights. So if you're having any issues with landlords, mm -hmm. definitely hit up KC Tenants. Yeah, and I didn't know that like we had uh, an SRA group here in town. Also, uh, I don't know if my buddy's still running it, but uh, I'm also a fan of the SRA. Mm -hmm. And so it was really nice to broaden my horizons as far as what was being offered in town. And the ability for someone, if I saw them on Facebook or if I ran into them in person and they said, oh, I really need x y or z and i could say hey you need a bed sleepyhead beds you need diapers happy bottom you know you just need some groceries to get by here you go i um then kind of took things that i had done on my own and, and moved them through these different organizations like i didn't know that the cares act last year had um eliminated student lunch debt for for kids and in previous years i had raised the money to eliminate student lunch debt um, at my the middle school that i had gone to um and so i was going to do that again and then people who i had met through doing mutual aid said no 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 i'm like you don't need to to do that here's some information cares act i took care of that which was really cool and then they directed me to other programs right that might need help um and so i was able to get uh, like I want to say it was like 70 or 75 pairs of socks, uh, beanies, and gloves that I sent with um, the SRA um, to a Casey Tenants organization, nice. uh, like a meeting yeah. cookout, so that they could have those. And I gave some to Micah Ministries so they could have those too. Um, and so it's nice to be able to both grow the community and grow as an individual through mutual aid as it has progressed in the city. Yeah, and um, I'm actually going to go off script here because that actually brings me to one of, like, one of the radicalizing moments for me personally when I realized that the world was fucked up and I needed to do something was that I literally had the thought, somebody ought to do something. And then it took a couple weeks, but eventually it was like, well, what the hell is your excuse? You're somebody. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm poor. I don't have money to donate. And I'm like, well, I have time. And 
that I think is what this thought's kind of leading to because I've I've been involved in Kansas City activism for 20 years. I have a ridiculous amount of people hit me up whenever something happens, kind of in the same vein that you're saying with mutual aid, but with activism, you know? Oh, well, when the uprisings happen, what, where's the protest? Who do I need to contact? How can I donate? I can't go there in person. And the important thing I used to tell people then and it applies to mutual aid too, is it takes all types. There's no one size fits all to help with mutual aid. Some of us have the means to donate, but don't have the time to donate our, our volunteer labor. Others have some time to donate, but may not have the means. Other people may not have means or time, but they got a stockpile of, my mom used to make uh, knit a ridiculous amount of blankets. It's what she does. She knits blankets and hats. She was sending them to Pine Ridge. She had some contact up there and she'd just send a bunch of hats and shit to them because, you know, natives are completely fucked over in modern America. And so I guess the point I'm trying to make is I don't care who you are or what skills you have to offer mutual aid or any movement. It takes all types. There's no one size fits all. You don't have to be a certain way or know certain things like whatever skills you have to offer the movement they're valuable it definitely goes back to each according to his ability each according to his needs yay somebody quoted marx and it wasn't <laughs> me <laughs> um but that, that definitely applies to me to wait i had a lot of um a lot of people a lot of introverts who are like i i don't feel comfortable going to protest people freak me out it's gonna my having bad anxiety or you know i am autoimmune mm -hmm. uh, i have autoimmune diseases um i can't be around that many people i can't go to the protest but how do i what do i do and i'm like do you want to drop off some water bottles yep. run them down there yep. i'm like do you want to be a point of contact like if someone needs to be bailed out of jail um here are some bail funds um i think people get uh, nervous or they get um, overwhelmed when they see people who are in the streets, activists, um, boots on the ground, mm -hmm. and they don't realize that they can, they can be an activist, they can do mutual aid, they can show solidarity in so many different ways. And I hate that um, they created that stupid term slacktivism. I can't say it correctly because I never use it, but the, the boomer term about millennials talking uh, and, and Gen Z talking about issues yeah. on Facebook. I mean, knowledge is power. Yeah. Education is a form of activism. Um, Self-education is a form of activism. Oh, yeah. Um, I, it's one of the reasons why I share everything that I read. Um, Taylor's got the best book list, yo. They come <laughs> up and it's like, well, damn, I need to have her on my show because clearly she will read. <laughs> they, they. Oh, no, you're fine, you're fine. Um, but, you know, it's, it's like, hey, like, I will go on and on about the Asada Shakur autobiography um, because it is the best autobiography that I've ever read. Though I am reading Malcolm X's autobiography right now and it is coming very close. But, you know, I want to like have those discussions with people and get them, you know, to at least engage in a little bit of critical thinking. Yeah. So maybe, maybe I should learn more about that. Um, you know, or maybe, you know, GoFundMe is not like, not the most ideal way to get somebody money. Yeah. But if that's what's available, if that's what somebody's doing, yeah. you know, go for it. Or, 
I've had some folks who have um, not wanted to donate to people directly because they don't know them or they don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. and they've moved money. Um, they'll be like, hey, if I give you $100, can you give this person this $100 and say yeah. from an anonymous donor? Yeah. Um, and it's all it's all different forms. It takes all different types to move things forward. Um, like when we did the raffle for the car, I didn't know how to do a raffle online. Like I didn't. I was like, I'm not gonna write everybody's name on <laughs> right. the paper. And a friend of mine was like, okay, well we'll make a Google Google we'll forms, form, and, then, and then we'll get a random number generator. generator. Yep. And, and he like set that all up for me, and he that was his contribution. Yep. And I was like, cool, uh, I learned something new, he got to contribute, he felt good. Yep. Um, and it's not just per se about feeling good, but it is a, a nice byproduct of, yes. of doing it. Because I want to know that my community is taken care of and my community is safe. So I may get into this again later, so we'll touch on it real quick because I can't remember if it's in here in the script. But yes, at the at the end of the day, I don't believe there is such a thing as an altruistic act at all because every altruistic act is going to make you feel good, even the ones that make you feel shitty on some level, you know you're doing the right thing. So that being said, I have a vested interest in bettering my community, whether it's through assisting with groups like Free Hot Soup or Kansas City Mutual Aid, or doing a podcast where I'm making it aware that so y'all know where these resources are. I want to live in a well-fed community. I want to live in a safe community. I kind of went over that in the first episode when I was explaining why I'm doing this show. I want to know that y'all are taken care of, and this is my contribution in this particular time. So, like I said in the first episode, revolutionaries are guided by a great feeling of love. Che Guevara said that. And I firmly believe that because there has to be an inspiration to make you want to step out of your comfort zone. It's not even necessarily a painful thing, but I'll tell you, sometimes it's a pain in the ass when, you know, you got to return these 30 calls or drop off these, but you're doing it for a reason and you're doing it to know not only is your community better off for it, it makes me feel good, you know? Uh, that raises a good point. I had a, I had a friend who messaged me, and he had been lurking in the mutual aid Facebook group for a while, and he has said, hey, I have an idea. And I was like, what's your idea? Uh, and he said, I, he's like, I don't want to overstep. I'm a white guy. Yeah. And he was like, there's a lot of requests for groceries and whatnot that are coming up. And he's like, I'm able-bodied. I've got transportation. I work from home. He's like, I'm not immunocompromised. I'm not in that at-risk group. Uh, and he said, I was thinking, this is last Christmas, he said, I was thinking about buying myself this new $2,000 camera for Christmas. I don't need it. The camera I have right now is only a couple years old. It works just fine. And I was just going to get myself this. And he's like, but as I've been watching you all do stuff, he's like, I feel like it will make me feel better to take that $2,000 and break it up into $50 grocery trips. And he said, I have a car and I have gas and I'll get to learn the city and it's gonna push me outside of my comfort zone. Uh, he's like, I, you know, I'll get to learn new grocery stores and I may, may not meet new people, but we'll be put in contact with new people. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I just need to know how to approach people when they make the post because I am a yeah. cishet white man. Yeah. And I said, but, I was like, you know, just be very kind. And I said, you know, 
just message them publicly yeah. and say, hey, I'm looking to help. Um, I'd like to help. Um, may I message you? Like, may I direct message yeah. you? Um, and he was like, okay. He's like, I just, I'm so afraid of overstepping. I didn't know if this would be okay. And all he wanted, he had the resources, he had the time, he had the will to do it. He just needed that. It's going to be good. If you do it this way, you are okay. And he went and did that. And he ran groceries for a couple weeks for people. Um, he just needed that guidance on how to, to talk to people where it didn't come off as weird. And even then, like having that kind of conversation, that made me feel good, that made him feel good, that helped out the community. Um, and it was a, an educational moment for him. And I, you know, it has impacted me to this day. Oh, yeah. I mean, and there's... God, mutual aid is just so cool. Speaking of mutual aid, the commercials, with the exception of the one for Anchor, which, again, you should use, and I will help personally produce your podcast because we're trying to get some stuff going. But if you do, use Anchor. Uh, but the rest of my commercials are all for groups or businesses that... I believe we're doing good work, and I just made a commercial. Uh, Skunk, Ape, Skunk Ape Liberation Union is on Facebook. They send out free seeds and free stickers to anywhere in the country. So they're great for helping to start get a garden going. You should go to Facebook and like them and follow their posts and tell your friends about it so that we can diversify the seed supply and make sure we stay fed when the food uh, chain breaks down. So, do you have anybody you want to plug before we go to commercials? Um, let's see. You know what? Um, an organization that I have been working, um, not directly with, but through other organizations for a long time is Mike Ministries. They're over on Independence Avenue um, on Monday nights, they do hot meals. You can have as many servings as you want. Um, and they also run a clothing and toiletry pantry. So if you ever have empty medicine bottles okay. um, and you can get the labels off of them, Micah Ministries will take those and fill them with shampoo, conditioner, soap, all that fun stuff, and make little uh, care kits that go out to... Uh, are working for in houseless communities so they can have toiletries that way and they also will take donations of shampoo conditioner soap all of that fun stuff too and uh, where can you find them online are they on social media or? they are actually on Facebook um, under Micah and it's M-I-C-A-H Micah Ministries um, and they do lots of cool stuff and they're very involved so. word so y'all check that out and uh Help your community. In the meantime, uh, go buy some shit from one of our cool sponsors. Hey, capitalism sucks, but Revolution Records, Kansas City's old school record and bookstore, is part of my community. When I'm in Kansas City and need a book or a copy of a local band's album, I go to Revolution Records. Revolution has a great selection of posters, books, records, tapes, and zines. Plus, they repair music and sound gear. That's pretty dope. Most importantly, Revolution Records is part of the community beyond being a small business. The staff does a great job maintaining an inclusive, accepting, and respectful atmosphere. And they also are active in making Kansas City a better place. 
Community fundraisers, workshops, events, and meetings all have taken place at Revolution Records, and that's just the stuff I was involved in. So the next time you need a new record to spin or your speaker breaks, go check out Revolution Records, located 1830 Locust Street, Kansas City, Missouri, or at revolutionrecordskc.com. Deep in the swamps of Florida. Honey, is that a new plant? He dwells, waiting. Where did those seeds come from, honey? Silently. Oh my God, what is that thing? Sending seeds and stickers across the country. Ah! And spreading solidarity. Have you lost your mind, honey? We can't move to a sustainable commune in upstate New York. What's wrong with you lately? There's no stopping him. The Mighty Skunk Ape is on Facebook, and he's on a mission. Anarchy! No! Coming to a post office box near you, the Skunk Ape Liberation Union. Okay, and we're back. So yeah, mutual aid. It's cool as shit, and hey, it's the paragraph that I brought up the car. I saw people depend on strangers to help cover bills last year. Uh, when their unemployment checks got bogged down, we kind of talked about. I saw groups uh, sending out food packages, including what Taylor was describing. I know that my IWW, the Industrial Workers of the World branch, also... Uh, throughout the pandemic were sending out care packages and donating to various groups, mutual aid groups who were doing that. And we only shifted our focus when the uprising started and we only shifted our focus to mainly uprising and bail support. So, um, so yeah, I saw that, uh, there were activists gathering feminine hygiene products to distribute for free to those affected by the economic downturn. Shout out to Nicole Springer and no shame, another great group, uh, to support nobody. I, I, I'm a cis white dude, so like I'm obviously talking completely out of my ass, but I'm acknowledging it. But the way I see it, like having hygiene products shouldn't be an issue. So since it is, yo, no shame. I, I want to say that food stamps doesn't cover or doesn't fully cover the cost of feminine hygiene products. I at least when I was on them, but that was also you know 15 years ago. Uh, they didn't cover any paper products whatsoever, any type of medication, but that was 15 years ago. But at the end of the day, that's something that should just be offered uh, so that, you know, people could handle that and not. But anyway, yeah, no shame. Check them out. Uh, that's definitely a cause that is, you know, worth checking out. So Yeah, I just double-checked in uh, WIC and SNAP. Both do not cover... Uh, tampons or pads or any other feminine yep. hygiene products. So, that's the country we live in, you know? <laughs> like, so definitely check out No Shame. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so there are activists gathering feminine hygiene products to distribute for free to those affected by the economic downturn. At one point, I saw a car given away, free and clear, with the registration fees covered by the community, and I believe you're involved with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we already talked about it. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, you know, that... Yeah, that was this last February, and it just 
it just so happened that a person reached out to me and said, hey, uh, would I want to do this. And again, it was, a, I have the means to do this. I want to do this. It's, um, it, it will make me feel good if I can give this card to somebody who truly needs it. I just don't know how to do that. And I was like, you know what? I may not be able to constantly have, you know, time to have boots on the ground, but I do have time to, you know, take on this project. Um, and that leads me to like how kind of mutual aid is not a one size fits all um, situation. We've had ups and downs with uh, how much involvement uh, project organizers have to do stuff or what their projects are. Um, and so the last couple of months I've been, you know, with a job change um, and some stuff going on with myself and my family, I've had to take, you know, a little bit of a step back and I'm still, you know, approving posts and improving numbers yeah. on social media and I, and I got a post up today on our Instagram um, and then trying to contribute where I can. Um, but it, it's a fluctuation, you know, no one can give 100% of themselves all the time yeah and that's what leads to compassion fatigue and burnout so have you ever heard of the choir analogy no okay so this is cool i like the fact because i have a lot of respect for you and i see your reading list and i know how you're involved in my community that i'm involved in so it's i think it's really cool when i get to teach you these like yeah. little things that's what the podcast is about folks me learning me teaching y'all learning y'all teaching so the choir theory is when it comes to acts that we do, such as what Taylor was just describing, it's really easy to get tired and it's really easy to get burnt out, especially in the world today. I've been doing this for 20 years and it's a lot harder today to keep your spoons up than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So in a choir, say you're going to sing. I, I produce music. All the music on this show is all stuff I produced. So uh, I produce music in a choir. If you're going to have uh, a long note that's going to be held for four bars or eight bars, you obviously may or may not, as an individual, have the breath to hold that note, right? So they have a system where you basically stop and take little breaths to maintain, but because you're part of a choir, you don't hear it because everybody else is picking up the slack. So it still comes out sounding like a nice steady thing, but everybody has a chance to pull out and recharge. And that is something that we, I feel like, need to be really mindful because I walk a line in my own head of needing, I know when I hit my limits and I'm like, I need to check out for a minute. I need to, you know, not be so involved. But at the same time, coming from the place of privilege that I sit upon, being a cis, white, straight uh, male, like, I, I feel guilty about that because there are a lot of times where I am like, I could be doing more and stuff. But I try to remind myself of that choir analogy and be like, I just got to take a breath. Just the important thing is to get back in because if everybody takes a breath, the song ends, you know, so... Yeah, that's a choir analogy. Oh, cool. yeah. It, it's been um, kind of a wild ride. I think we're approaching, we're going to hit two years with the mutual aid group, I want to say in April, so we're about at 18 months. Um, and so there was a time where 
a couple of us went hard and I was like every week like I'm devoting you know so much time to like creating these calendars mm-hmm. and adding these events in and finding these resources and double checking them um, to get that base foundation and then like I had to take care of my own mental health and some family stuff and change jobs and it just didn't balance but I was still there watching what was going mm-hmm. on and then lending um, you know my voice when when needed and uh, you know still donating because I could I had the capacity to donate I just didn't have the emotional or, or time bandwidth to provide as much um, and then also I took a lot of time to do some self-reflection on like why it was important to me to to be involved in mutual aid um, because I think there is like if you spin off of um, like the Judeo-Christian, like we need to do charity to get into heaven or whatever. As as a secular person, I'm I'm not looking for some divine reward by doing good. Yeah. And I'm not looking for some social clout by doing good. What makes me feel good? I mean, we're all going to be doing we do good things or we do anything really because it generally makes us feel good. Yeah. Not knocking that. No true altruism. But um, doing good for me uh, or doing good makes me feel good and it makes me more willing to like bring a tiny human into the world which is a goal personal goal of mine and i want that child to have the opportunity to have a better safer world like we can only learn more and do better um so i did take some time to really reflect on why i was getting involved in mutual aid and other groups um, and also learn some theory behind it, so I could answer the, the why behind the how. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now that it is, it's kind of, it's been about six months, I would say, um, I've kind of recharged enough to, to get back in and to start doing more again. Um, it does also help that it, it, it time, I ended up timing it when it's a season where a lot of people tend to want to do more so that right. I mean that's helpful that was not intentional just kind of how the the chips fell so well I mean that's that's the way it was meant to go would be my assumption that's the way the you know universe intended for it <laughs> had to stop and uh take a take a quick look and see if the Rittenhouse verdict came down but not yet oh is that supposed <clears throat> to happen today yeah they're deliver well they're deliberating so it could be at any point um <clears throat> yeah so uh yeah Mutual aid and uh, give of yourself, but don't give all of yourself because then you can't give anymore. Pour from an empty vessel, so make sure your vessel stays full. I think people feel that they get pigeonholed into very specific ways that they have to do stuff. Either they have to be boots on the ground or they Mm -hmm. have to give money um, or they have to send, you know, a petition or they have to write you know, there's senators and congressmen and all that fun stuff. Um, but that, those are just like some of the ways. There was a time we were going through our pantry and I had an inordinate amount of almond milk and it was all going bad within four weeks. And we had, I wanna say like 10 cartons of it, uh, of like shelf stable almond milk. And I was like, what are, we're not gonna go through this. And so I posted in the mutual aid group and I'm yeah. like, hey, here's an offer. I've got, you know, 
uh, I think I put up six yeah. of the ten. I was like, I vaguely remember that yeah. post. <laughs> I, was like, I have too much shelf stable almond milk. Does anybody want to claim a couple? I was like, you know, start by claiming two so that if multiple people yeah. need it, and then if I have any left, if you need more. Um, and I was like, and it's available for porch pickup. Um, and I just set them out on my porch, and people came by and got them. I've got a contact. Um, in one of the groups I'm affiliated with, who every two months she comes by and picks up all of the medicine bottles that my house uses, and I collect my mom's used medicine, like prescription bottles, and a few other people's, and I collect them all, make sure the labels are off them, and then I notify her, she picks them up, and she takes them to Micah, or cleans them and takes them to Micah so they can use them. Um, it's, It's really small things. Yeah. Um, I'm very quick to I'm very quick to shoot off uh, an email or uh, sign a petition, especially if it's one of those form emails yeah. where you have the pop in your information. Um, sometimes it is just about quantity. Right. Um, but then it's also you know making it easier for other people to do the things that they want to do. So if, if I'm saying, hey, I will organize buying all the stuff and getting it to where it needs to be. I just need help fundraising the money. People are generally like, oh, yeah, I can take the 30 seconds to send you 25 bucks yeah. through Facebook Pay or Venmo or whatever to get this done. Um, I did a fundraiser around my birthday for the mutual aid group through Facebook. Um, I think we raised it $405. Um, but it was just, you know, for a month, like once or twice a week, I just posted, hey, did anybody want to donate or sign up for our Patreon? And people were like, okay, cool. Tell me a little bit more about it. Probably took five minutes out of my day most days. And and that's still a form of mutual aid. Yes. Like that's still moving things forward for folks because it's getting the funding needed to do things like the container gardens or the feeding folks, which are the programs that they run year-round yeah yeah totally speaking of gardens for example of, of what mutual aid is further not that we haven't given you like a billion and if you're still unclear as to what mutual aid is stop right now pause the episode go back to the first episode re-listen to it maybe take notes this time uh dm me i will i will feel free but like you should know by now uh but anyway if i grow a garden and give you my extras you might feel inclined to bake me some bread if that was your thing or you might mow my lawn watch my kids for a few hours make me some art whatever floats your boat you take care of me and i'll take care of you the important thing is to not expect reciprocity I hate that word. It's a great word, but I hate saying it out loud. But to do it simply because you would want the same done unto you. To me, mutual aid is the golden rule in action, you know? Yeah. Um, There is actually, so, um, there is actually way back in the Talmud, if we want to get into some Judeo-Christian values here, there's like a hierarchy. um, It's called the, I don't know, probably... Um, butcher some of these words, but it's a, a tzedakah, I believe is how you say it. There's like a ladder of, of charity work um, that you can do, and I know we're steering away from the word charity, but with the highest forms in this ladder is people who have, giving to people who have not, with the intention that they 
um, are doing so in a way where the person who has not is able to no longer depend on that charity anymore. So if it is in like a skill set issue like we've talked about earlier, or like a one-time monetary thing, or like the car, um, it's, it's that lifting up to help out and the person who is donating their time and resources and money is not expect expecting anything in return. They're yeah. doing a good deed for the good deed's sake, and the like, and that itself. Yeah, and know. they are called to do the good deed because it is their community, and they are being good stewards of the community. Yep. Um, and it kind of sucks in my mind that a lot of, especially Christian communities, have like moved away from that. Like. Mm-hmm. And instead, you do charity for a divine reward, oh, yeah. Yeah. and not just you know because you want to be good stewards of our community and the you know of the earth. Um, I'm saying all of this is a um, completely secular yeah. person, but I always thought that always was very um, meaningful to me when I learned about that, and I was like doing good for for good's sake. Yeah, doing good for the. The greater community, the greater good. Yes, the greater good, the greater good. And I mean, let me remind you, uh, listeners, that it is coming up on Christmas. And Santa is motherfucking watching you, so you better be good, for goodness sake, okay? That's why. Not not because spiritual reward or whatever. Goodness sake, that's where Santa's at. Santa, dressed in red, just saying, he's a comrade, gives everybody a toy, like... I don't know, maybe he's an exploitational capitalist because of the elves, but I don't know enough of what's going on up there to make that judgment. Maybe it's a commune, maybe he's democratically elected. Anyway, I am totally going off topic here. So, <laughs> so yeah, like even people who are child-free, um, like I, I think can get behind, for the most part, the idea, I, I should say for the most part, because there are some people in the world that are like exploitive capitalists who don't give a shit, um, but I think for the most part, your average person is like, yeah, we should try in whatever way, you know, that calls them to make the world a better place mm-hmm. for future generations, even if they don't have a biological tie to those future generations. Yeah, yeah. Again, I feel strongly that humans are inherently good. I feel individual humans are inherently evil at times, and I also feel that we come up with some really fucking horrendous uh structures to organize our society by i believe capitalism's evil do i believe john maynard keynes or keynes was like probably an evil vile bastard no i think he was just a thinker like and he was just writing things down the way he saw it obviously there's there's some levels where that's not necessarily a good thing like yo i'm i'm not all hitler was doing was writing mein kampf but i'm not saying that he was a good person you know but like it's the structures that we make it's not we're inherently wanting to help one another and i think that gets lost a lot in america yeah and it i think it gets lost um in christianity in general but also like in the american uh, uh, capitalist patriarchy um because of our weird origin stories (laughs) for white americans specifically um, and I think the more, uh, the more that individuals can make uh, a one-to-one emotional impact with people to get them to change their minds or change one, one behavior for the better, um, 
you know, the more of an impact we're going to have overall. Because I could go on tirades on Facebook. I used to all the time. Tirades about, you know, people suck and this is performative and this, that, and the other. And then I was like, man, I feel like I'm kind of alienating some some folks who are just ignorant. And I think we need to get away from the idea that being ignorant is evil. Yeah. Kind of moral oh, yeah. assumption or a moral association with ignorance, you know, ignorance is partially a failing of our society and our education system. I mean, I think we are kind of kept woefully ignorant so that some certain things within our government and our economic system can continue. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, the shame associated with being ignorant or not being able to, to have an answer is kind of the same shame as not being able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, they're ingrained, so we don't ask questions, and we don't help one another and help ourselves. Like George Carlin said, they just want us smart enough to operate the machines. It's a big club, and we ain't in it. Uh, speaking of big clubs, so is capitalism. So uh, let's do some more commercials. This is Red Leg Revolution. Capitalism sucks, but Revolution Records, Kansas City's old-school record and bookstore, is part of my community. When I'm in Kansas City and need a book or a copy of a local band's album, I go to Revolution Records. Revolution has a great selection of posters, books, records, tapes, and zines. Plus, they repair music and sound gear. That's pretty dope. Most importantly, Revolution Records is part of the community beyond being a small business. The staff does a great job maintaining an inclusive, accepting, and respectful atmosphere, and they also are active in making Kansas City a better place. Community fundraisers, workshops, events, and meetings all have taken place at Revolution Records, and that's just the stuff I was involved in. So the next time you need a new record to spin or your speaker breaks, go check out Revolution Records, located 1830 Locust Street, Kansas City, Missouri, or at Revolution Records. RecordsKC.com. Deep in the swamps of Florida. Honey, is that a new plant? He dwells, waiting. Where did those seeds come from, honey? Silently. Oh my god, what is that thing? Sending seeds and stickers across the country. Ah! And spreading solidarity. Have you lost your mind, honey? We can't move to a sustainable commune in upstate New York. What's wrong with you lately? There's no stopping him. The mighty skunk ape is on Facebook and he's on a mission. Anarchy! No! Coming to a post office box near you, the Skunk Ape Liberation Union. Basically, mutual aid is the golden rule. That's all this stuff is. Stripped as jargon, of theory, of zeitgeist. It's the same stuff we learned in kindergarten. Sharing is caring. Do unto others. Treat everyone with kindness, compassion, and respect. Which is what happened in Seattle in 1919. Taylor, have you ever heard of the Seattle General Strike? 
I am not there in There's the Power of a Union by Philip Drake. <laughs> the books I'm working on. I, I have not made it there. I'm at like nine, I'm at the Pullman the Pullman ah, Chicago. That's as far as I'm at. Very so tell, nice. tell me about the 1919 Okay, so I actually know a little bit about this strictly because I did a episode of Heartland Labor Forum with an author of a book who I'm going to recommend later on uh, who wrote about this. Uh, so the Seattle general strike happened, like I said, in 1919. So let's talk about what we can achieve when we build our communities, utilize direct action, and help each other through mutual aid. But first, let's set the stage. From Wikipedia. Again, I, I remind y'all, I'm not a journalist, so don't expect a whole lot of research for these podcasts. If anybody thinks that this show needs better research, I feel feel free to come volunteer. I would love to have an intern doing this shit for me. In the meantime, here's Wikipedia until I get to the point where uh, I, you know, have a research guy. However, that being said, I do recommend the book Radical Seattle by by Cal Winslow. Uh, that's the gentleman I talked to a few years ago on KKFI. So. Uh, for the centennial of the uh, uh, Seattle strike. So, uh, yeah, yeah, where am I here? Okay, so this is what Wikipedia had to say about kind of the causes to the Seattle general strike of 1919. There was a 400% increase in union membership from 1915 to 1918. At the time, workers in the United States, particularly in the Pacific Northwest, were becoming increasingly radicalized, with many in the rank and file supported of the recent revolution in Russia and working toward a similar revolution in the United States. Most unions in Seattle were officially affiliated with the AFL, but the idea of ordinary workers tended to be more radical than their leaders. This goes on today. A local leader from the time discussed the politics of Seattle's workers in June 1919. Quote, end the quote. I believe that 95% of us agree that workers should control the industries. Nearly all of us agree on that, but very strenuously disagree on the method. Some of us think we can get control through the cooperative movement, some of us think through political action, and others think through industrial action. So, end quote. Basically, wages had stagnated as resources were dedicated to World War I, but that war had recently ended by 1919. Now workers were agitating for better wages while simultaneously trying to mimic the conditions to foment a workers' revolution similar to the ones in Russia. We got so close. <laughs> uh, but anyway, let's take a quick break from all that and differentiate between an industrial union and a trade union. I kind of mentioned this before if you listen to all my shows. Think of some store in a chain that's hypothetical, non-existent, mega-grocery corporation with shady business practices. A trade union like the AFL-CIO would represent the butchers. A different one like the Teamsters would represent the drivers. Another union represented the stockers, and the cashiers may not even have a union. That's trade unionism, separating each trade by their skill and negotiating separately with them. Now, let me make it very clear. I'm a big fan of unionism of all types. Trade unionism will get us closer to where we need to be than no unions, but that's not really, like so many things in our world, we're not far enough to where... You know, we can do the shit I'm about to talk about. So a solidarity model would cover everyone in the store. The meat packers, bakers, stockers, drivers, and cashiers would all be equally represented and have equal bargaining power under a single contract, which just happened. We actually just had the first fast food contract in America was verified and accepted by the company at Burgerville. Uh, so under this same type of, of model where everybody's related 
So that's pretty cool. Hopefully that leads on to some new stuff. And the IWW was involved in that. So, uh, but anyway, separating each trade by skill. Um, uh, let's see. In fact, collectively, the solidarity union model has more bargaining power due to jurisdictional labor disputes inherent in trade unions. Uh, for example, I've literally had, when I was a union carpenter, I would have to stop work at certain points because I was working on something that may not have been a carpenter trade job. Uh, so we'd have to sit and not do anything until the BAs came out and hashed it out. And it's just, it's really inefficient. And it's a way the bosses are able to pit everybody against each other because you're still not practicing true solidarity, you know? So uh, there's a whole day worth of material there. I won't go more in depth in that episode. I've got some carpenter friends who want to come on. But the important thing for Seattle in 1919 is there's a healthy mix of industrial unions and trade unions. And unlike today, there was a clear idea of worker solidarity. Back to that article from Wikipedia. A few weeks after the November 1918 armistice ended World War I, union, unions in Seattle's shipbuilding industry demanded a pay increase for unskilled workers. They formed the Seattle Metal Trades Council, made up of delegates from 21 different craft unions. There were 17 of, at the time of the first strike vote. At the time of the general strike, these separate unions no longer made separate agreements with the yard owners. A single blanket agreement was made at intervals by the Metal Trades Council for all the crafts comprising it. So at that point, we're looking at an industrial model. Like, we don't care who your individual union is, we all work for the same standard, uh, which is what the IWW still works for today. So uh, in August 1917, the workers had succeeded in, ex in establishing a uni uniform wage scale for one-third of the metal tradesmen working in the city. At the time of the general strike, James Taylor was the president of the council. In an attempt to divide the ranks of the union, the yard owners responded by offering a pay increase only to skilled workers. The union rejected that offer, and Seattle's 35,000 shipyard workers went on strike on January 21st, 1919. Controversy erupted when Charles Piez, head of the Emergency Fleet Corporation, an enterprise created by the federal government as a wartime measure and the, and the largest employer in the industry, sent a telegram to the yard owners threatening to withdraw their contracts if any increases in wage were granted. So this is the boss. The message was intended for the Metal Trades Association, the owner's group, but it was accidentally delivered to the Metal Trades Council, the union. So the shipyard workers responded with anger directed at both their employers and the federal government, which, through the EFC, seemed to be siding with corporate interests, end quote. Yeah, they sent the message to the wrong association, and it sparked a historically noteworthy general strike. Think of that the next time you accidentally send a text to the wrong person. <laughs> Could be worse. So, back to uh, that article. The workers immediately appealed to the Seattle Central Labor Council for a general strike of all workers in Seattle. Members of various unions were polled with almost unanimous support and favor, even among traditionally conservative unions. As many as 110 local unions officially supported the call for a general strike to begin on February 6, 1919 at 10 a.m. Among the strikers were war veterans who wore their uniforms as they went on strike. So in the end, the strike, end quote, in the end, the strike fizzled out due to threats of federal government intervention, but mainly the loss of balls by conservative union brass, which is how these usually go. Uh, but again, that's, that's all for the union episode. Uh, <clears throat> so three simultaneous movements brought the strike to an end. Mayor Ole Hansen brought, uh, increased the police and military forces to enforce order, though there was no disorder, and possibly to take the place of striking workers. Union officials, especially those more senior and at higher levels of the labor movement, feared that using the general strike as a tactic would fail and set back their organizing efforts. 
Union members, perhaps seeing the strength of their forces arrayed against them, perhaps mindful of their union leaders' concerns, begin to go back to work. The General Strike Com Committee attributed the end of the strike to pressure from an, an, uh, international union officials and the difficulty of continuing to live in the shutdown city. So that was all a lot to say for five days <coughs> in Seattle in 1919, the city shut down. So a general strike, Taylor, what's a general strike? General strike is when everybody stops yeah. working and no one crosses those picket lines. Yeah, so that's that's why I bring it up. Uh, a, because I'm very pro-union. I also believe that we are about at the point, well, we're in the middle of an unintentional general strike. Like, it's not organized. It's not a true general strike because we don't have a strike committee and, and like, set down support. We have support. This thing is what we're talking about today is support for a general strike, but it's not, you know, organized. So, what we're going to talk about is those five days when the city was shut down. Because that, well, I mean, you'll see why. So, during the Seattle general strike, the workers took care of each other through mutual aid. There wasn't any charity because nobody was working. Yet, people remained fed, secure, and protected. When disillusioned or cynical folks counter, uh, counter calls for a general strike with thoughts like, well, who will collect garbage or who will treat the sick, I'm reminded of Seattle. From Wikipedia again, quote, a cooperative body made up of rank and file workers from all the striking locals were formed during the strike called the General Strike Committee. It acted as a virtual counter government for the city. The committee organized to provide essential services for the people of Seattle during the work stoppage. For instance, garbage that would have created a health hazard was collected. Laundry workers continued to handle hospital laundry and firemen remained on duty. Exemptions to the stoppage of labor had to be passed by the strike committee and authorized vehicles bore signs to that effect. In general, work was not halted if doing so would endanger lives. That's, and in some ways, harm reduction, which is a big tenet in mutual aid. Yep, exactly. It's And it's, you know, when I, I tell my friends in our organizing circles how important mutual aid is, especially being with the IWW and trying to get people to unionize, I don't expect anybody to take that step without knowing that they are supported and supported and more than just thoughts and prayers. You know, like if you know that you can take that, you know, you can, you know, walk out of your job and know that there's a strike fund waiting for you or there's a pantry for you, you're more willing to take that plunge. So, uh, let's see. So, yeah, uh, harm reduction. And in other cases, workers act on their own initiatives to create new institutions. Milk wagon drivers, after being denied the right by their employers to keep certain dairies open, established a distribution system of 35 neighborhood milk stations. A system of food distribution was also established, throughout this, which throughout the strike committee distributed as much as 30,000 meals per day. Strikers paid 25 cents a meal and the general public paid 35 cents. Beef stew, spaghetti, bread, and coffee were offered on an all-you-can-eat basis. The system developed during the strike resembled systems of organization already in use by the Japanese community of Seattle, a group which was largely left out of the strike leader efforts. Not surprised there. Again, this is, this is I feel like, one of the issues when we don't approach any social issue in this country through the lens of intersectionality. Like, yeah. Um, so... If you don't know about that, we'll do an episode about that down the line. But uh, in the meantime, go look it up because you really can't 
do what we do without knowing how all these things tie together. So, uh, oh yeah, now now the part I, I love talking about. So, uh, all right, defund the police. All cops are bastards. It's a rotten institution and it needs to be uprooted. And before you come at me with the, oh, well, who will keep us safe? Let me direct you to Seattle. So, Army veterans created an alternative to the police in order to maintain order. A group called the Labor War Veterans Guards forbade the, were forbidden the use of force and did not carry weapons and used persuasion only. Peacekeeping pro- proved unnecessary, though. The regular police force made no arrests and actions related to the strike, and general arrests dropped to less than half their normal numbers. Major General John F. Morrison, stationed in Seattle, claimed that he had never seen, quote, a city so quiet and orderly. And that's the end of my uh, my my Wikipedia article there. So yeah, thoughts on on what we got so far? I I, I it it speaks volumes. I I would say that I like started through all this. Um, it does speak volumes um, about what people can do um, when when motivated to do so. It it makes me think of. Um, like victory gardens and mm-hmm. things like that. I mean, yeah. I know there's a lot of nationalism and propaganda behind oh, that. Yeah. But um, when folks are given, you know, the education and the know-how um, and resources to to engage in something like a community garden or individualized gardens where you give the sur- you can give the surplus to your neighbors, um, people when they feel supported are more willing to act to the greater good and it goes to your point about you know if someone's more willing to go on strike mm-hmm. if they have the support of other people in the community uh, thanks reagan for <laughs> for basically killing you know unions yeah um, hey, hey, yeah fuck ronald reagan that's how i closed out the first episode <laughs> but um you know, at the end of the day, what it comes back to is community, like community engagement and harm reduction, mm-hmm. right? The the strikers are saying, okay, we we need these things. We need these programs for harm reduction, um, both reactive harm reduction, so things like sanitation, fire, um, that kind of thing. Um, but then they also need um, proactive harm reduction they need some sort of peacekeeper it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a violent exactly you know, government thug situation um but it, it's saying hey like we need to reduce the harm proactively reactively and then we also need to say what are the needs of the community how do we build to meet those needs right um and that's I, that's a lot of what mutual aid is um and what it lends itself to is how do we meet the needs of the community that are here and how do we reduce harm? Yep. And when we do things like start our own neighborhood security forces in lieu of the police or soup kitchens, all that, we are building dual power. We are building institutions that we can rely on that are based upon our own efforts versus waiting for some some entity that doesn't care about us take care of us whether that's the state or a corporation 
Uh, so you're building dual power every time you're practicing mutual aid and you're building your community at the same time. It's a trifecta. Like, buy one, get the other two free, you know? Yeah, and when you when you meet people where they're at in the community and you develop those kind of relationships, you're also developing trust. Mm-hmm. And, and there is an inherent, uh, a reasonably inherent distrust of the government and the police. Um, and to a certain extent, sometimes doctors. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're very shocked by people not believing medical advice that has come out during the pandemic. Um, but the United States also has a long history of being deceitful. Yes. yes. Uh, when it comes to um, communities of color and medical practices. Mm-hmm. I have, that's one group or a couple groups that I've never felt like I had any standing to judge. When it came to the vaccine, it's like, yo, if you, if you is is straight up European mongrel as me, like, hey, you ain't got much to say. But if you're African American or indigenous, like, I totally understand why you would be a little iffy about this, you know. Yeah. Um, and so when you meet people in in your community and you meet them where they're at, and you build the relationship and you're not just showing up for a photo op and like here's some stuff let me take your pictures so i get clout and feel good mm-hmm. and you're actually in there saying okay like we're going to build this relationship and i'm going to continue to come back and you let me know what you and your friends and your family need um and we'll organize to like make sure we can get you as much of that as possible um that that's strengthening the trust and resilience of your your neighborhood. I want my neighbors, because I live down the street from Healing House, which is another great organization in town um, that has its recovery program. They offer recovery um, housing, and Bobby Joe is amazing. Um, she has a lot of events in the neighborhood, um, and her goal is to build trust within um, the houseless community and to work on recovery and sobriety, right? Um, but I want my neighbors, since they literally are like right up the street from me, I want them to feel safe. And part of the way that they feel safe is not having police come into the neighborhood because mm-hmm. police are more likely um, to harass um, and harm um, addicts and recovering addicts, right? And, and the houseless population. Um, and I don't want them as a vulnerable community to be put in jeopardy. So one of the things that I think about is, like, do I need to, in a situation, do I need to call the police? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that ever a viable option? Uh, and the answer is no. It is harm reduction for me to find ways to resolve things that don't involve yeah. the police. And when I can say to my neighbors, hey, like, let's just work this out, or like, what what do you need? How can I help? Um, in a way that doesn't get like the government or the police involved, that builds trust with them, mm-hmm. um, and then we're able as a community to rely on each other more. Yep, and that's basically how it all comes together. I had like maybe six more paragraphs that I had written, but I I feel like you've really like helped me nail on what I I needed to nail on. So. Well, I, I did send you the the big master doc that we kind of compiled. A bunch of folks put in a lot of effort. Um, it was not 
solely me. There was a collective effort by a lot of people. As the best things often are. <laughs> um, who put in work early last year in the Kinsey Mutual Aid Master Doc. Um, so I sent that to you so you can share that. Um, yeah. I think the easiest thing in, to quote you earlier, sharing is caring. So even if you may not need a resource, you know, yeah. knowing that those resources exist and being able to refer a friend oh, in, yeah. in need is the best way to just kind of get started. Oh yeah, and I mean like, for example, I love the fact that I, I know what group to send people with periods who need help with hygiene products. I know where to send them. I don't have to deal with that, you know, like, I used to carry a tampon just in case somebody needed one, but like, it's so, so yeah, get out there and, and share the knowledge because I guarantee to you there's somebody that, that needs it, that you being the link in the chain of information to get it there. You just don't know it yet. It may be three or four people down the line, but if you don't tell the next person, it's never going to get where it goes. So. Yeah. And, and also I'd say never hesitate to ask. When you find somebody that feels like a safe person to ask if you are ignorant on a subject or just want more information or confused, um, asking is going to do more good for you um, than not. Um, I don't feel like there's very many questions in the world that will cause more harm. Yeah. Um, especially when it is from a place of, of positive intent. Yes. And that's that's the big part. I can think of a handful of questions that cause harm, but they're not coming from a place of positive intent. You know, like if you're walking around asking are black people people, there's no benefit to that question. You know, that's that. But that's a whole that's that's getting philosophical. And I'm trying to close the show down. Uh, just so we're clear, I firmly believe black people and all people are people like that was just as an example. So. Uh, yeah, that is why it's imperative, a long way around, that we build solidarity in our communities, build dual power, and practice mutual aid as often as we can. I'm sure we'll go more in depth with these th uh, three things in the future episodes, because that's the holy trinity of community, dual power and mutual aid and uh, solidarity. It's what I mean when I say our only hope is each other. Uh, so... Uh, that is what we have to say about that. Uh, Taylor, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day and letting me come set up shop in your lovely home and hang out with Ghost wherever Ghost went. Ghost is napping. Oh, big shout out to Ghost. Ghost is adorable. You guys uh, are missing out because you don't see the adorableness that is uh, Ghost. So, uh, yeah, any final shout outs? Uh, where can people follow Kansas City Mutual Aid? Uh, all that good shit. Kansas City Mutual Aid, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we have a public page, and then we have a private group on Facebook. So, aid requests to go through the private group and just general information about us is on the, the public facing page. Um, and our Instagram and Twitter handle um, is KC Mutual Aid. And we have a link tree in our bio that has more information and different ways you can donate. Sweet, and I will have some of these links up and available and I will have that master list up. So if there are any uh, areas in your own life that you could use mutual aid, definitely take advantage of these programs. That's why they exist, yo. So 
Ah, do, do, do. I guess I should do my plugs and stuff. Uh, we'll be back next week. In the meantime, you can find us on Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, Spotify, iHeartRadio, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Our social media is uh, Red Leg Revolution on YouTube and Facebook, Red Leg Pod on the Twitter. Uh, that was Red Leg Revolution. I'm C-Dubs, and drink lots of water, get some sunlight. You're basically a houseplant with anxiety. And remember, our only hope is each other.